All right. Well, tonight begins our study on the biblical timeline of world history. So I've got some handouts. Um, my challenge for this study was really how to um, do it and provide you something that you could hold. It's such a big, comprehensive thing to tackle and trying to figure out how to do that um, without getting lost in the weeds was and is and will be our ongoing challenge. So, um, if you've looked, has anyone looked at the timelines that are in the hall there? So they're, what about, how, what are they, like 16 feet long? So I, I couldn't give each of you like a 16 foot by 3 foot timeline. <laughs> so, uh, and of course that's up there for you to look at anytime. Uh, so I was able to find though something a little bit more manageable that's not going to be nearly as comprehensive but uh, I think it'll be um, maybe helpful for you to have and this actually is the timeline that comes from the life application Bible and so um, I've got 15 of these and I can make more but uh, would you uh, help me by passing that out. And um, yeah, Let's see how many how many do we have? Do we have more than 15? How many do we have? Nineteen. All right. If if couples share right now, I can get everyone one, but I made fifteen. The other thing that I will do as I go, I'm happy to make uh, copies of my notes. Hey, buddy. And. Um, if I do that, so it's like tonight, if I write notes, type notes, I can give those to you next week. Do we have any? Are we good? All right. There are also 15 of these and 15 of those. Go ahead. And, I'm sorry. All right. All right, so um, let's look at Let's look at the um, the life application timeline just real quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. 
But this timeline goes from creation. Uh, I think what you've got there is 79 AD, uh, the last page, which was the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Uh, obviously, it's going to take us a while to get through this, but I wanted to just uh, provide this for you because it does give, for instance, let's look at the first page. So we're going to go into a little bit more detail on some of the things than this timeline gives us. But if you look at this timeline, the way it is structured, on the top of the timeline you have the biblical events. For instance, creation, it's undated on this timeline. The timeline we're going to work with, the date is 4004 BC. Uh, I'm going to basically be using Usher's uh, timeline of, of history. Um, and he dates creation at 4004 BC. So that's kind of our starting point. Uh, that would indicate that my view of creation is a young earth. I know there are people who uh, are old earth creationists, um, but that's why this timeline here on the Life Application Bible has creation undated. It also has the building of Noah's Ark undated. But we're going to go with the genealogies in the Bible, um, which the genealogies of the Bible are not genealogies of every single human who ever lived. I think some people are confused about this, and they look at the genealogies in the Bible, and they're like, well, how do you get all these people from that? And the, the point of the genealogies in the Bible are not to trace the genealogies of every created and every born human being. Specifically, what we see in terms of genealogies from beginning to, from the beginning in Genesis through all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament are the genealogies that trace the lineage of Christ. So, for instance, in our uh, Mystery of History class here at Koinonia Classical Christian School, we use the Mystery of History curriculum, and that curriculum basically traces history the same way we're going to look at it um, except in a year instead of getting to the birth of Jesus or the the crucifixion of Jesus we're going to make it in a year all the way through to modern history which means we're going to have to move pretty quick but what you see in in history is we trace the lineage of Jesus so our students in all three of my classes have what's called a timeline. And uh, they have characters, places, things that are important on the timeline of history. But every person on the timeline of history who is part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, that person as represented on the timeline will have a gold cross on their chest. So, for instance, in Mystery of History, Volume 1, our students will be able to go from creation, 
They'll be able to go from Adam and literally trace a scarlet thread all the way to Jesus, the crucified and resurrected Lord. And they'll be able to trace every person in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so a lot of our genealogies in the Bible are focused on those godly lines, ungodly lines, and it's centered around presenting Christ to us. So I say all of that so that you understand that the Bible is not trying to give us a record of every human being that was ever born or ever lived. And some critics of the Bible use that to say there's no way that man could have expanded the population. Um, but science actually shows us that that's exactly what happened. So, um, so for instance, on this timeline that I handed out to you, uh, the first date that appears there is 2500 BC. So that's between Adam and the birth of Abraham. So between the creation of Adam and the birth of Abraham, what history teaches us is that the Egyptians discovered papyrus and ink for writing. They built the first libraries. Uh, actually, we had iron objects manufactured before 2500 BC because the Bible says seven generations after Adam, Tubal-Cain was born. And when Tubal-Cain was begat, he was the father of all those who were, worked with bronze and iron. And his, uh, the other guy, Jubal, the other uh, person there mentioned was the father of all those who uh, played musical instruments. So Jubal created, crafted, and, and taught music and musical instruments. Tubal Cain taught men how to work with, it says specifically, metal, bronze, and iron. Which means Tubal Cain, as an early man, seven generations after creation, knew how to take iron ore out of the ground and turn it into a workable metal that you could craft things out of. And if you know anything about metalworking, that is a very complicated process. And what does that tell us? That tells us that early man was not some ignorant guy living in caves who didn't know his right hand from his left hand, but God created man with intelligence. And we have what's called black archaeology that evolutionists don't like to talk about that indicates that early man had technology that was that is not far different from technology that we have today. Like lumps of coal with bronze bells inside them? Yeah, like lumps of coal with bronze bells inside of them and uh, little gold figurines or little gold um, objects fashioned into helicopters and jet airplanes and things like that uh, that we can't figure out how they would. Well, the answer to people who don't, who reject the biblical record is the, the aliens gave them that technology. 
And of course, they're waiting for the aliens to come back and reveal themselves, when in reality, the one that's going to come back and reveal himself is the one who actually gave that knowledge and technology in the beginning, which is the Lord of creation, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you just see some things there, you know, that, that we know from history and archaeology uh, by these dates. For instance, 2100, uh, glass was made by the Mesopotamians. We just learned in our, one of our history classes today that the Phoenicians were also making glass along the Mediterranean coast there uh, where Israel and Lebanon exist today. <clears throat> And so um, that glass making and those technologies started very early in creation. So this timeline just gives you a really, really thumbnail sketch of history. And so I wanted you to, to have that just because it'll be a good reference for you to have on hand or in your hand. Now I want to look at another thing that I gave to you tonight, which is not that one. I have a lot of links here. So there is this handout um, that has the green dashes, the green lines. So it's got it's a chart of lifespans. It's the lifespans of the patriarchs. And I want to show this to you uh, <clears throat> just because I think it's interesting. And we read the Bible sometimes and we don't think about, you know, we read all these so-and-so beget so-and-so, but we're not keeping track with the math. And so we don't really know, you know, well, we know God created Adam as the first man, and the Bible says Adam lived to be 930 years old, but we don't think about all the people that were alive at the same time Adam was alive. <clears throat> and so this chart here takes us from Adam to Abram, or Abraham. And so let's just look at this chart kind of from the, the bottom and, and go up. So there's Adam, <clears throat> who lived from creation just to um, shy of a thousand years, 930 years. Well, we know that Adam begat Cain and Abel, and Abel was murdered by Cain. Why isn't Cain on this? Why isn't Cain here? Well, Cain's not here because this... This traces the lineage of Christ. And so Seth was the son born to Adam through which the Savior eventually came. And so we see Seth then. And Seth, all of these uh, green lines represent lifespans. And so some of these guys don't really mean anyone to you. There's Jared, the jeweler. No, not really. Um, but there's Enoch, for instance. And Enoch is there. Um, and he was alive while Adam was still alive. And what is the claim to fame with Enoch? Well, Enoch is the guy that the Bible says... 
he walked with God and Enoch was and then the Lord took him. So Enoch didn't die. The Lord took Enoch. Uh, he took him to heaven. Kind of the way we think of it is the same way Elijah was taken to heaven. You know, he's with Elisha. We'll get to him later, a few millennia down the road. We get to Elisha, and, uh, you know, he's taken up by the chariots of fire, sent down from God. He's translated, he's raptured, if you will, caught away. Well, this Enoch, who was caught away and taken to be with God, uh, Enoch was alive while Adam was alive. Um, and Enoch was taken shortly after the, um, um, the death of Adam. Here's the guy uh, up above Enoch is Methuselah. Who knows what the claim to fame of Methuselah is? Anybody? Yeah, he's the oldest man, the oldest living man. So he lived longer than any other man in history that's recorded for us. Methuselah lived 969 years. And so Methuselah is, um, is there uh, while Adam, he's born while Adam is still alive. At Methuselah's death, there is uh, something significant happened immediately after Methuselah died. That's when the great flood occurred. And so Noah, for instance, let's, let's go over to this. There's a, a sheet that I gave you that has um, interesting facts about the lifespans in Genesis. So just some notes here. There were 1,656 years from Adam to the flood. So as I, as I considered these, I just kind of, um, I thought, well, what was happening in 1656? Well, we know in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right, and came to the New World. 1492, so 166 years after Columbus came to the New World. So if we want to think about the end of the world, the world would have ended 166 years after Columbus came to the new world. So 1656 years after Adam came the flood or thereabouts. Between the time of the flood from the flood to Abraham from the time Abraham entered the promised land there was 427 years. Or there were 450 years from the flood to the birth of Isaac. Adam's lifespan overlapped Methuselah by 243 years. So Methuselah was born 243 years 
after Adam. Methuselah's lifespan overlapped Noah's by 600 years and Shem's by 98 years. Methuselah's name, it said, means when he dies, it shall be sent. If you look at his name broken down in the etymology of his name, part of his name means death or man. Part of it is talking about a spear, man of the javelin, but it also is related to violence. And so it's thought that Methuselah's name, born 969 years before the flood, that his name was prophesying the coming of the destruction of the world. And so his name was, was a prophecy that his death shall bring what a significant event and his death did bring about the flood there were 126 years between the death of adam and the birth of noah so adam was still alive when lamech noah's father was born but noah was born 126 years after the death of adam we don't really think about that that Adam lived that long, he lived long enough basically to, to see, did they know one another? Did the father of Noah know Adam? I mean, Adam and Methuselah would certainly have known one another, or would they? I mean, the Bible doesn't say. Well, that's a good question. The Bible doesn't really tell us how much of it was taken over. But we do know this. We do know, for instance... Um, after the flood, the Bible does record where cities were built in, in the land that we call, uh, it's known as the Fertile Crescent. There's another name for that land. Does anyone know what it is? Mesopotamia, which means, it's Greek, which means the land between two rivers. Do you know what two rivers is between? The Tigris and Euphrates. Now, the Euphrates is mentioned by name in Genesis at creation, but we don't really know if the Euphrates River that we have today on Earth is the same river that was in the Garden of Eden because after the flood, everything would have been changed to some degree, if not totally. So, the Bible doesn't really tell us how far civilization went out. I would think, this is just my opinion, if you think about it, from Adam and Eve, as man populated, you would think that there would be some spread, but because 
God made us interdependent upon one another, you would think that as population grew, they would spread out, but I think there would still be some connection. There's no reason for us to think that that man did not, before the flood, have a divided language. We know after the flood there was a divided language, but we don't know that before the flood. So it's not unreasonable to think that Adam and Methuselah would have known one another, would have talked with one another, or any of these other people. It's not impossible that they would have not had relationship or at least knowledge of one another. All right, any thoughts about that? Don't you think, uh, I mean, they could have obviously spread out before the flood, but do you think that the Tower of Babel story and part of what God did was spread everybody out? Yes. Is an indication that maybe they did not do that so much? I would say that. So I, I would say that after the flood and the record of, uh, of Babel and the Tower of Babel, the fact that they all stayed there, they all had one language, and they all worked together, um, I think is, is at least a, an indication that it's not unreasonable to think that before the flood, that man would have operated in a very similar way. Um, now, we do know um, before the flood, there was violence. Now, what that violence was, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us. So this kind of goes back to our talking about giants. Were there really giants? Uh, and if they were, were those giants the offspring of uh, angelic beings, fallen angels, and human beings? Or were those um, sons of God talked about in the scripture just shorthand for very powerful men and lords who controlled the world through violence and corruption and wickedness. There are good Bible commentators who believe that's the case. There are good Bible commentators who believe they were actually um, the offspring of, of some type of angelic being and human beings. Um, the Jews in much of their history and writings uh, Josephus for instance takes the view that these were uh, these were men who were born between because of the union between angelic beings and, and human beings and they produced this race of men men of renown and so, um, before I get too caught up in that, let's, let's just continue down here. So, on this sheet here, you just can see, it just kind of lines out, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. Uh, he lived how many years prior to the flood? Remember what the Bible tells us? When did the flood come? Five 
Yeah, so if we go to Genesis 6, um, God prepares the ark. I heard someone say it. Yeah, Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. Genesis 9, uh, verse 6. I mean, 7, verse 6. And so, when we think about... Um, when we think about Noah, that's fascinating to me that Noah lived 600 years on this earth. And so I wonder, where did he go? What did he do for 600 years? I mean, we... Huh? Well, yeah, at least for 120 of that, he built a boat, right? Um at a minimum 120 years took him to build a boat, I think. Um, and so, but what about the other 480 years? What was he doing? Think about, think about 480 years. So, today minus 480 years. Someone do the math. What year are we at? Does anyone know? it. 1742, 480 oh, years sorry, from now. 22, 15. 15 what? 1522? 1522? Oh, Would that be right? <laughs> Is that right? No, if, if we subtract 480 years from 2022, what's our year? Hmm? 1572. Okay. So we're still in the time of the Reformation. So think about it. Noah, before he started working on the ark, he lived on the earth for a period of time that would be equal to 1572 to our current time. What could you do in 480 years? You could do a lot of things. I mean, all of that was erased with the flood. So we don't have anything left from the pre-flood world in terms of cities or civilizations or that was all wiped away. But it would be, it really would be silly for us to think that at a minimum for 480 years, Noah, who built the ark, was just sitting around in a cave painting pictures on a wall or running around trying to kill dinosaurs with a sharp stick. Oh, wait, I forgot. Dinosaurs and men didn't live together, so... No, I mean, see, this is silly. You know, we, we, have, we have archaeological evidence of men and dinosaurs living together. Right here in Texas and all over the world, but it's ignored purposefully because it flies in the face of the evolutionary model which does the advancement of early man flies in the face of the evolutionary model and so Noah so Adam think about this Adam would have lived well now think about this this is interesting to me 
Shem, the son of Noah, lived 75 years after Abraham entered the land of Canaan. Did Shem and Abraham know one another? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But they were alive at the same time, and they all came from the same area. And somebody, that's exactly right, somebody passed these stories down. There had to be a connection because we know who wrote these stories. Uh, we'll look at that on our timeline. No, uh, Moses wrote these stories. So we say, well, but, uh, you know, we say that Moses was inspired by God to write them, and I do believe that. But I also believe there was an oral history that was passed down. And the reason I think we're reasonable to believe that is because we see that in every culture, in every ancient culture, there's an oral history. Uh, and some of those oral histories have turned into written histories. Or mythologies. Or mythologies, that's right. That's even mentioned by Moses in the book of Genesis, those men of renown. That's mythology. So could those men of renown mentioned in Genesis be where the Greeks and the Romans got their idea of these human beings with supernatural strength and power who were part God and part human? I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. So Adam would have lived long enough to meet his great, 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 great grandchildren. <laughs> That's crazy. So he was telling them about what happened in the garden? And he would have told them exactly what happened in the garden. The Egyptians, the Egyptians say in their, in their history, in their, their uh, legends, that it was Adam and Seth who taught them about the stars and the constellations, the houses of the zodiac that we just throw away as uh, something of the occult, <coughs> excuse me, which we should not do. God gave us the houses of the zodiac. God gave us those houses. And if you look at the houses of the zodiac, not just the 12 houses, but all the houses, there's 12 major houses. There's two additional minor houses associated with those 12 houses. And when you look at the houses of the Zodiac, they give in, in minute detail the story of the gospel. And so when Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, it's more than just being awestruck by the beauty of the starry sky. The starry sky literally tells us the story of redemption in Jesus Christ. And all of that story is found in the houses of the Zodiac. And the Egyptians say that it was Adam and Seth who taught how to read the stars and how to interpret those stories. Why are those houses, why are those images of the virgin, of the lion, of the dragon, of all of these things, why are they cross-cultural? Why do they cross these cultures and cross time? Because somebody taught them those things. And if Adam lived long enough to see his grandchildren for five 
great, 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 great grandchildren, yes, he taught them those things and a lot of other things that he would have known and learned. Noah lived through the ninth generation of his own descendants. And then, of course, after the flood, the age of man gradually um, reduced. And that's what you see going back to this chart with these green lines. You see the age of man beginning to shorten immediately following the flood. Now, does anyone have a thought about why that might, excuse me, that might be? Well, if you've sat in Dr. Larry's, uh, he's actually doing this. I didn't realize Roland had told me he's, he comes once a month to Memorial Baptist, Dr. Larry, um, What's Dr. Larry's last name? Mitchum. Dr. Larry Mitchum. And he's coming to Memorial Baptist once a month on Fridays doing his teaching on creation science. It's absolutely fascinating. And so, um, counting the generations, we say creation was at 4004 BC. God created Adam and Eve. We know that the flood, the flood happened, uh, I think, um, on our timeline. Here it's undated, but actually, uh, the flood is around, is it 2389? Sorry, let me look at my other timeline here. Oh my goodness, I've got too many things here. So in the first two millennium, there is a specific date, for instance, in our, in our, um, in our Mystery of History textbook, uh, it gives us a date for the flood. And so when we talk about the flood then, uh, the world was underwater, the earth was underwater for a year, then as the flood subsided and the ark comes to rest on dry land, um, there are those who believe that the ark is resting on Mount Ararat. There is a lot of interesting evidence that would support that um, that theory. I personally believe the ark is there. I've listened to the I've listened to the interview twice with a gentleman from World War II who uh, was stationed there with the Kurds, and the Kurds took him up to Mount Ararat and showed him the ark. Uh, Dr. Larry, of course, knows people who uh, 
have been up to Ararat and have uh, seen that. Well, if you listen to this, you can actually still listen to this guy's uh, interview. He went into the ark. Uh, it, it's broken open. There was an earthquake that occurred. I can't remember when that broke broke the ark. But there, the animal stalls were there. There was still there were lots of things. It's a sacred place to the Kurds uh, because uh, they they believe it is Noah's ark. They believe it was Noah who saved the world. Uh, and so it's a very sacred place to them that they guard, that they protect. And he talks about everything he saw. Um, they can see the roof from satellite, but uh, supposedly this guy actually was able to go into. Yeah, so it's certain times a year, so it's covered in ice, it's in a glacier, and so you've got to go when the ice melt happens and you can actually have have access to it otherwise it is pretty much buried in in snow uh, or in ice yeah yeah there it's a, a it's a political thing the Kurds the Kurds are not they got their own problems so so around 2500 BC, uh, we've got the flood, and then the the ark comes to rest on dry land. And so after the flood, we've got the reestablishment of civilization. I'm sorry, I'm clicking through here trying to. Close up some things. So, for instance, uh, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, this is where uh, it talks about uh, Jubal, uh, the father of those who played the harp and the flute. Verse 22 talks about Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. So Genesis 21, 4, 21 and 22 talk about these men who are the father of those who are metal workers and makers of instruments. Well, in that little timeline I gave you from the Life Application Bible, you notice in 2500 B.C., somewhere in, in further, you see this um, where they found evidence of, of these crafts, Egyptians, in early civilizations that are doing these things. Well, where did that knowledge come from? Well, the Bible tells us where it came from. And we know that Jubal and Tubal Cain weren't on the ark, but the knowledge that they possessed was passed down and it was carried on the ark and then reintroduced into civilization after the flood. And so, during this time after the flood so whether the ark really came down on Mount Ararat or not one thing that we know and I wish I had a map but I, I don't have a map but if you look at where Mount Ararat is today and you look at what's called the Fertile Crescent or Mesopotamia it's not unthinkable 
that that is where civilization as we know it uh, flourished and formed after the flood. So in Genesis chapter 10 verses 8 through 12, let's look at that. Genesis chapter 10 verse 8 through 12. Cush, Cush begot Nimrod. So Cush was of the line of Ham. So the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Cush was of the line of Ham. And Cush begot Nimrod. And Nimrod began to be a mighty one on the earth. What does that mean? Well, verse 9 says, at least in part, it means he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel. Uh, what is Babylon? What city is Babel associated with? I just said it. Babel or Babylon. So the city of Babylon that we know in history that we're going to look at a lot as we go through this biblical timeline, we're going to get to the city of Babylon. The city of Babylon was a city that goes all the way back to the post-flood era of Nimrod who established Babel, and that was the beginning of his kingdom. But not just Babel. These are cities, but Erech, Akkad, Cana and the land in the land of Shinar. So Shinar, the plain of Shinar is the place where all of these cities existed. And we'll see the land of Shinar later in the Bible and we'll see it also later in history. And from that land, from Shinar, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh. So which direction would Nimrod have gone from Babel or Shinar and built Nineveh, you geography whizzes? Which direction would he have gone from Babylon to build Nineveh? Any guesses? North, south, east, or west? North, south? He would have actually gone east, more eastward. So Nineveh was east of Babylon. Nineveh, not then, but Nineveh became the capital city of an empire. Does anyone know the name of that empire? Significant in biblical history. This, the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So the Assyrians, their capital was... Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is going to come about many, many centuries in terms of it being the capital of the Assyrian Empire. But Babylon and Nineveh are two cities that coexisted together throughout history, and eventually, two empires rose up around these two cities. One the Babylonians, and another, the Assyrians. And these people groups that were once one, so
So remember, post-flood, now Nimrod's building all of these cities. That was the beginning of his kingdom, but something happened. Something happened that caused a division to take place. And so we see this in the biblical record when God confuses the language. Let's go to Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Well, this is post-flood. So, if the earth had one language and one speech, there's a good chance at this time, after the flood, I think there is a reason for us to believe that the world would have had one language and one speech before the flood. It doesn't mean there couldn't have been more than one, but it does at least mean that everybody on the ark spoke the same language. And the language that was learned after humanity repopulated the earth, now 70 nations represented here, we could say, uh, they turned into when God divided everything, they at one time spoke one language and had one speech. And it says, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. As they journeyed from the east and dwelt there. And they came and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, bake them thoroughly. And they baked bricks for stone. And they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, let's build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down, and he saw the city, and he saw the tower, and he saw what the sons of men had done. And he said in verse 6, for indeed... The people are one, and they have one language, and this is what they begin to do now. Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down. Let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused their language, the language of all the earth. So in the biblical record there, when Babel is talked about, this is the name the Lord gave it. It's the name that, we've no, that we know. Was it called something before that? It might have been, but we don't know what that name is because God confused all the language and he said its name is Babel. And that name has stuck. And that name stuck through history all the way to the establishment and the world domination of the Babylonians as one of the greatest world empires. Their, their empire began a succession of empires. 
that led to ultimately the coming of Christ and the spread of the gospel throughout the world. But the spread of that gospel throughout the world did not happen, would not happen. And here's a point of history that we need to understand. The spread of the gospel with the coming of Christ, with the birth of Christ, could never have happened had God not confused the language and spread the people out across the world. You say, well, why couldn't God have just let them remain as one and speak one language and then there would have been a lot less ground to cover? That's the wrong way to think about it. So you think about how God has used these major events in history to purposefully bring about His plan and His purpose. So two cities here, Babel and Nineveh, they're both very historic and very important in the biblical record. They're names of cities that we still recognize today. We still study them today. So all of this after the flood. So man had the technology to make bricks. Man had the technology to create mortar out of asphalt. He had the technology to make metal, to work metal. He created languages. He built cities. So what's it take to build a city? And when you build a city, and so here in the biblical record, for instance, in, in, uh, in Genesis 10, 12, speaking of the city of Kala, it says, In resin between Nineveh and Kala, Kala, that is the principal city. It's not just a city, but it's called a principal city. And so that's like saying you have, um, you have, um, how might we say that? You have um, Taylor between um, Longview and Austin. Austin being the principal city. I mean, Longview and, and, and Austin are both cities, but they're different kinds of cities. One is a principal city. One is, in fact, our capital city. And so what kind of technology did man have? What kind of knowledge did man possess to be able to produce cities in places, some of which are still in our history today, that lasted for centuries? Uh, that means that man had the intelligence of a fully formed, fully evolved human being that didn't happen hundreds of thousands of years after monkeys began to walk the earth. But it happened because God created man with an intellect. And God gave man the capacity to grow in knowledge and to be creative with the knowledge that he possessed to discover and hone technologies that gave him the ability to create metal and write music. I mean, think about music. I don't know a lot about music, but think about the, the scales, the, a musical scale. I mean, it's universal. Who, who, who created that? How can that be? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's very mathematical. It's very, 
amazing. If you study music and mathematics and the relationship between music and mathematics, and then you you translate that over to the position of the planets and and, and everything in God's creation, and you realize that music and mathematics and astronomy and all of these things are not accidental partners. They're all connected. And here we have ancient man somehow was able to make those connections and track the stars and understand and give us the knowledge of the different houses of the zodiac and what they mean and what they represent, what those pictures are. I mean, is there, is there, is it accidental there's a virgin and a lion and a dragon? And at certain times in, in history, the, the dragon is literally right there at the virgin waiting for the virgin to produce a child that will be consumed by the dragon? I mean, where have we heard those stories? Oh, in the Bible. But guess where those stories existed before the book of Revelation was written? They existed in the stars. And all of this is connected because God has made this awesome interconnected world that we live in that we can discover and explore through music and mathematics and science. And history is showing us how God has linked all of this together. So, in the early biblical record here, and this is one reason our third lesson into uh, our world history is uh, the lesson on Jubal and Tubal Cain. Two, two guys you can very easily pass over in the Bible and not give a second thought to. Jubal, the, the, the father of all those who play instruments, and Tubal Cain, the father of all those who work with metal, with bronze and with iron. And the Bible is purposeful in mentioning iron because it takes some pretty advanced technology to take iron ore and turn it into iron. An ancient man did that. So the biblical record shows us that ancient man did not evolve. Ancient man was created with an intelligence already in place by God. All right, any thoughts there about any of that? Have, have you thought about that before? How the biblical record flies in the face of the evolutionary model that tells us man evolved literally from pond scum. And we still don't know what the ingredients were that gave us the diversity of life from, you know, oak trees to monkeys to um, human beings. But it all came from the same place. I mean, what takes more faith for you to believe? That over billions and billions and billions of years? It just all happened by accident? Or God created this diversity and this wonderful world that we live in for his specific purpose. And history gives us the record of how God works through his creation to bring about his purpose. And so as we get further into this study, 
It's going to take a lot of faith for you to believe that from Babel, shortly after the flood, when I say shortly after, I'm talking about relatively speaking, that shortly after the flood, Babel evolved into the Babylonians, which were conquered by the Persians and the Medes, which were conquered by the Greeks, which were conquered by the Romans, which built roads all over the world, and then the gospel came and it traveled and is still traveling throughout the world across the roads that still exist today that were built by the Romans 2,000 years ago. Do we really, do we really believe that was an accident? History gives us this record and it is why Paul says his invisible attributes are clearly seen. So you can look at science, you can look at math, you can look at music, but one of the greatest ways to see his invisible attributes is to actually look at history and see how God has worked and to look at how all of these events are interconnected and then ask yourself, was that really just a cosmic coincidence? Or perhaps did God have a plan all the way back to Babel and before to bring about these events that have given us the things that we know today, the things that we're living benefactors of today? What takes more faith? An accidental happenstance? or a purposeful creation. That is not just history, but it's his story that he is still actively writing. And we are all a part of his story, just like we are all a part of history. All right, any thoughts there? Any questions? So, um, cuneiform uh, characters were found uh, in Sumer. And so if we talk about, uh, we study this also in our, in our world history. And so the Sumerians, not to be confused with the Samaritans, Let's see. Uh, that also would have been the language of, or the the form of writing uh, of the Babylonians. I wish. Um, so, do y'all know where Sumer is? So it, it's in that Fertile Crescent. So it's believed <clears throat> that the Sumerians, the earliest. The earliest uh, cuneiform tablets are, are dated by historians, modern-day historians, around 3500 B.C. Um, and so if we look at our timeline here, that's what we have uh, post-flood. Does that mean that there were not 
uh, writings prior to that? Not necessarily. And so, that would have been prior to, so for instance, on this little timeline I gave you, 2500 BC, the Egyptians discover papyrus. Well, cuneiform writing would have been about a thousand years before that. Um, now, what's different about cuneiform and how do we teach our, do we, what do we use to teach our kids how to spell? We use an alphabet, and what else do we use? Huh? Who said it? Did someone say phonics? Where did phonics come from? From the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were not the first, the Hebrews actually did this, but the Hebrews and the Phoenicians both uh, Semitic people from the same region. But the Phoenicians, the alphabet we use today comes from the Phoenicians. And so what's different between a Phoenician alphabet and the cuneiform, each cuneiform symbol represents a picture. It's kind of like the Chinese language. How many characters are there in the Chinese alphabet? It's like like, I think it's over 5,000, well over 5,000. Maybe way more than that. And each of those characters represents a word or a picture. Well, in our alphabet, we've got 26 letters that represent not a picture, but a what? A sound. And so from those 26 sounds, we can make, we can make infinite numbers of words using sounds. And so if you're going to learn English, you need to learn 26 sounds, 26 letters, and you need to learn how to put them together to make infinite numbers of words. But if you were going to learn the, right, the, the language of the Samaritans, or the Sumerians, um, there in Sumer, uh, or the Babylonians who used cuneiform uh, language as well, written language, you'd have to learn every picture that that cuneiform symbol represented. So about 3500 BC is when historians date the earliest cuneiform writings. So in 2500 BC, Egyptians discover papyrus and ink for writing. So Moses is not writing with cuneiform symbols. Moses is writing in Hebrew, one of the languages that uses an alphabet with sounds. And so Moses is writing in a language similar that we would understand in terms of our phonetic alphabet. Very different from the language of Sumer or the Babylonians, or those who used cuneiform. What, what other questions? Any other questions? Do you believe that it is sufficient to use the biblical genealogies to get a pretty good estimate for the date of creation? I do. 
I know there's a lot of people that would disagree with that, but it is the biblical record, and I believe the Bible is uh, the inspired Word of God and inerrant and without error in its original form. Does that mean that it's exactly 4004 BC? No, I don't believe that. Um, but do I believe that creation, that this world is, um, was created within 10,000 years ago, within 7,500 years ago? I would say yes. And that this world, this cosmos is not hundreds and thousands of billions of years old. No. And I don't believe, I believe that, I believe that the scientific record, if looked at objectively, just like the timeline of history, if you looked at the timeline of history uh, objectively, and there are atheistic historians and atheistic archaeologists advocating for a major shift in the timeline of history, not because they, they want to prove the Bible, but because the archaeological and historical evidence to date leaves, I don't believe, any doubt that there should be a shift. But history and historians and universities and tenured professors and billions and billions and billions of dollars are invested in a timeline that has now been proven out of date. And they can't, they can't, it's the same, um, well, I hate to even say this being recorded, but it's the same problem you have with politicians and bureaucrats who will not do the right thing when the evidence is this is what needs to be done, but because they're so invested with their money, with their budgets, with their spending, with their tenured plans, they can't do what truth demands and what's right because they see themselves losing as a result. This is what's happening in universities across the world. If you don't think education is big business and the business of education is not about truth, it is not about truth. It is about how do you sustain my funding? How do I keep my tenure? How do I remain a tenured professor? Well, a lot of universities are saying, don't talk about black archaeology. Don't talk about that shift in the timeline. Don't talk about that evidence there because that flies in the face of what we have traditionally said is history. Yeah, but aren't we all about the truth? That may have been true at one point, and there are still good historians and archaeologists out there who are advocating for that, but the people who run our universities, who are getting billions, trillions of dollars worldwide from governments and entities who are invested in not the truth, but the status quo. So there are good things out there that I, I'll bring you some links next week that I would encourage you to watch. Uh, there's one, I can't ever remember the name, that has these historians and archaeologists who show the shift in the timeline. And when that timeline is shifted for accurate history that's actually been discovered post when a lot of this history was, was current, it's now outdated. When you look at the current history, the current archaeology that we now know, 
the stories in the Bible, for instance, Joshua and the children of Israel going into the promised land, those stories line up perfectly with history and archaeology. They don't now, and they're said to be myth, myths and stories because they don't line up with history and archaeology. But if you would update history and archaeology to what is known now, they would match perfectly. So that once again, the Bible is proving history, science, and archaeology, not the other way around. Archaeology is not proving the Bible. Don't believe the archaeologists. Believe God and believe his word. And, and in time, you'll see that the Bible is going to prove what, what history shows us. It's going to prove what archaeology will actually show us. Uh, we, we're not waiting and depending on some scientist to, to, to prove to us the Bible is true. No, believe the Bible and, and don't believe the science and the archaeologists who are contradicting the Bible. When actual evidence today supports the Bible, and there are archaeologists and, and historians who are paying a price because they are willing to tell the truth. Um, and so it's out there. You just got to look for it. You're not going to find it in... As much as I love the University of Texas, you're not going to find it at the University of Texas because they're too invested in the lie to tell you the truth. Yes, Mr. Joshua. I was wondering, do you have an idea or hypothesis of was the Stone Age before or after Babel? Was the Stone Age before or after Babel? Like where you're, like, you know, where you find artifacts like arrowheads and things like that? Oh, I think, I think it would be before and after Babel. You know, Joshua, God told Joshua long after Babel to make flint knives and circumcise the children of Israel. So they were using flint knives and flint points, I mean, hundreds of years ago. We know that. So yeah, they, because that's a, red, that's a ready uh, technology and resource. So not everybody can make iron, but everybody can, flint and chert is everywhere. And so civilizations learn how to make tools and weapons out of flint and chert because you can travel as a nomad and find, you know. And then we have evidence that they would actually trade flint and chert. Mr. Brooks could tell you more about this. I mean, that, that, was, a, that was like money in the bank, wasn't it? Flint and chert. Because that's what they had to have to make their weapons, to live by, to, to hunt and also to make food and process food. So yeah, that, that was before and after, no doubt about it. The Exodus Decoded. Okay. Okay. That's one of them, the Exodus Decoded. Yes, there's another one too. So, those might be good things to watch. Um, are there any other questions? As a record. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> to, yes. Yeah, he would use the Bible and so 
And that's why, yeah, the Bible is amazing history. We just learned about that. I don't have any of my my uh, people in here. But what was the, do you know the name of the snail used to get that purple dye? It's the Murex snail. And so they would collect these snails and let them rot. And the liquid that float to the top, they would skim it off. And from that liquid, they would produce this purple dye. And it was known that Tyre, which was an extremely rich city, and part of the way they got so rich was by producing this dye. So red-purple dye was very valuable. Who, who, who wore red-purple clothing? Romans? But even before the Romans, kings, royalty, nobility. So you couldn't just go to Walmart and buy a purple cape because there was no Walmart, and purple just didn't exist. <clears throat> and so the Phoenicians learned how to produce this dye from this snail. And it was said that Tyre stunk so bad it had this garlicky smell and it was from the rotting snails that they used to make this dye. But that's quoted in Ezekiel or where is that? It's quoted, quoted in Ezekiel about Tyre and also what, what God said would happen to Tyre and their riches and the world literally came to trade with them and they went to the world and traded. Um, yeah, so the Bible is, gives us a lot of history and I'm thankful to hear that open-minded professors will use it. When you watch that show, you'll see that these guys aren't, they, they, they look at the history presented in the Bible and it's like, yes, this, this is real. This really happened. They're not saying there's really a God, but it's like somebody wrote this history down and it's reliable because the archaeological record is showing us that this is real. <clears throat> All right, any other questions, comments? Yes, let us. Who's the us? The same as the us in creation. It's not God and the angels. I believe it's God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> hmm? The angels may have gone too. But I believe the us is referring to the Godhead. Um, and I think, you know, fast forwarding into history, at the day of Pentecost, you had the reversal of battle with the giving of the Holy Spirit and, and the bringing together of, of the church of Israel as one man baptized into one spirit. <clears throat>